Well, good morning. My name's Craig. I came here happy, but I'm super happy now. Uh, I'm all pumped up. It was beautiful worshiping together. Who takes care of you? A lot of wisdom. A lot of wisdom coming from over there. Who takes care of you? Who, who's the person or people you know you can count on when life gets hard? Who takes care of you? That question may seem, oh, that's a silly question, right? Look, we never, we never mature past our need to be cared for. And at every season of life, we're asking questions. Who's going to take care of me? High schoolers, just graduated. Life is coming at you so fast. Who takes care of me? Is it my friends that I used to be able to count on? But, oh man, life's changing. Who takes care of me? You've been married 40 years. Your spouse has failing health. You've had to take on the identity of caregiver. You have to regularly help your spouse in and out of the car to get to doctor's appointments. Your caregiver, who takes care of you? You're a stay-at-home parent. You've got kids that need you all day. Who takes care of you? You're a single parent. Man, your kid gets sick, you've got to call in again. You can feel the frustration of your employer, like, oh my gosh, it's a total mistake hiring this person. They're so unreliable. <gasps> Who's going to take care of you? That's a question we're all asking. Who takes care of us? We kind of come out of the womb looking, who, who, who? Who's here saying, I'll be responsible for this person? There was a person in Israel that was an obvious answer to that question. There was one person who just by the way they looked clearly communicated, oh, that person takes care of me. That person whose sole identity and job it was to take care of you was a priest. There's letters from antiquity that said that the vestments, what the priest is wearing, it said that the vestments were so majestic, people had never seen anything so magisterial in their entire lives. And so shout out to Amy Appold, who made this priestly outfit. Yeah, amazing. And that's it. The only shout out today. Okay. If you were an ancient Israelite, you never had to question who's going to take care of me. You heard him coming. The bells. This person had the sole purpose of saying, I'm going to take you into God's presence. That's my day. I'm going to represent you in the presence of God. This breastplate that Ben is wearing is called an ephod, and it has 12 stones on it. And on each of the 12 stones were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the book of Exodus has all kinds of descriptions on, this, on these vestments, but this is what it says about this ephod. It says this, Aaron, who was the high priest, shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment, the ephod, on where? On his heart. So that when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. This priest has the identity of I care for you. I've got you close to my heart. So that when I go into God's presence, I feel you hitting up against me. Uh, Josephus, who is a, a historian, not a Christian, he lived around the time of Paul. He talked about during the time of Jesus... Uh, the Romans occupied Israel. And they, they would keep these vestments. They were so significant. They recognized their significance. They kept them in a place called a tower. And here's what he says. They kept it, the vestments, in a tower. 
in which were reposited the vestments of the high priest, which the high priest only put on at a time when he was to offer sacrifices. These vestments were King Herod kept in that place, and after his death they were under the power of the Romans until the time of Tiberius Caesar. They understood, we may not agree with the God of Israel, but this is meaningful. This does something. Well, what is it doing? Josephus kind of goes on to say some of the symbolism that's in this outfit. So the vestments of the high priest being made of linen signified the earth. The blue denoted the sky being like lightning in its pomegranates and the noise of bells resembled thunder. Okay, so the white that Ben is wearing, this is supposed to be uh, the earth. The blue is the sky, right? It's Genesis 1, the earth and the sky. Pomegranates, we know that there are pomegranates in the temple and it's being a picture back to Eden. Josephus says it's like lightning. I, okay. Uh, and this is thunder. Lightning, whenever the Bible uses lightning language, it's talking about heaven, right? And, and thunder also represents the voice of God. He thunders when he speaks. There's gold. Don't beat him up, all right? It's not real gold. There's gold stitched in to all this multicolored tunic that he's wearing and what's supposed to be happening here is a blending of heaven and earth a blending it's the lines between where God lives and where we live are getting blurred and this person representing you goes into God's presence that is the significance of a priest. A priest is saying, hey, we're trying to get back to Eden, and I'm, I'm wearing that. Uh, heaven and earth, creation, and I'm going into God's presence where we believe is life. The whole symbolism that the priest was wearing, though, had a problem. It was wrapped up in a person. A person couldn't get the job done. And so God says, hey, I'm going to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And God says, I'll wear that priestly outfit. I will become your priest who cares for you. He's going to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That's why when Jesus, he does all kinds of priestly things. Right? He takes three of his disciples up onto a mountain and he shows them his priestly garments. He's wearing white. It's blinding to them. He goes around healing people with leprosy and then telling them they can go worship in the temple. He's making impure things pure. And he's acting like a priest. And so when we ask the question, who's going to take care of us? The answer is, oh, we have a priest. Someone whose job it is, is to take care of me. And yet, Jesus starts acting like a priest, starts claiming he's a priest, and then Mark's gospel ends with a showdown between Jesus the priest and another high priest called Caiaphas. And the high priest called Caiaphas was not a huge fan of the high priest called Jesus. And Mark's gospel ends with a showdown of these two high priests. And you're like, what? Weren't Israel's priests supposed to care for Israel? Didn't they keep our names? Well, when we start asking the question, who cares for us? That's getting at one essential component that we need to experience God's life-giving pleasure, life-giving presence. There's an essential component, and that's a sense of belonging. That's what the priest provided, right? Hey, you belong. I've got you. I'm the person that's going to take care of you. You can count on me. Right? The priests, there's, they, they had to make sure that they were keeping themselves pure because they're going into God's presence. So someone's like, I got you. I'm going to spend, I'm going to make it my life's mission to take care of myself because I'm going to represent you to God. So that person, when a better priest shows up, goes, whoa, can't have this. And we're all like, what, what's happening? Well, you need two essential ingredients to experience transformation. And if you have one without the other, we can experience toxicity. 
So the first essential greeting is a sense of belonging. These are my people, right? I belong here. You know, we, we, we wonder, you know, I'm so bored with like, oh, it's so crazy politically out there. And, and we're like, wonder, how come it's so crazy politically? You're watching a sense of two groups of people who have a sense of belonging and they clash. All right, it's not a fact thing, right? We have information, it's not like, hey, if you just read this paper, we're all going to agree. No, we see a really powerful motivation is a sense of belonging. These are my people. Right? These people take care of me. I belong to this group. What happens when Jesus shows up, he has a different, he offers a sense of belonging, and it's so different from the sense of belonging that the current establishment offered that they feel threatened by what Jesus offers. And this gets at the heart of Jesus' priestly ministry. See, the first thing that we need to experience transformation is a sense of belonging. Who are my people? Who's taking care of me? If you don't have that sense of belonging, you're living in what's called isolation. Right? And in the Genesis story, what do we know about isolation? It's not good for people to be alone. We're not going to experience God's life-giving presence in isolation. We need a sense of belonging. And... Just because we belong somewhere does not mean we belong in the right places. There can be toxic places where we have found ourselves. Because the second key ingredient, the second key ingredient in our sense of transformation, we need to belong, and we also need a sense of identity. Who are we? What is it to act like us? And so when Jesus shows up, and is offering the kingdom and doing priestly things, and the current priesthood responds the way they do, they are showing we have an identity that is based on fear. Fear. And so what you're watching is a showdown of Jesus' identity, which is based on joy. We're going to get there. And the high priest's identity, which is based on fear. And you can watch, you're like, how in the world these people... It says that Jesus was brought to trial before the high priest and the teachers of the law. And then what do they do? They look for false witnesses. Do you know what one of the Ten Commandments is? Thou shalt not bear false witness. So these teachers of the law are like, quick, quick, get us something that breaks the law. Why? It's the power of identity. Please, 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 please hear me loud and clear. Part of the reason we don't experience the joy of God's life-giving presence, part of the reason we don't experience it is because our paradigm for how to experience it is broken. Our paradigm, the, the scaffolding that's holding up the buildings is not right. We think, okay, if I just have the right information about Jesus, and then if I make the right decisions about Jesus, I'm going to experience transformation. If I have the right facts, I've got good doctrine, and I make good choices, I'm going to experience his life-giving presence. And then you do that, and you don't. You're like, what's happening? It's because that's not the Bible's paradigm for how we experience transformation. It's not right choices mixed with good doctrine equals transformation. It's identity plus belonging equals transformation. We need identity. Who are we? And belonging. Who are my people? I learned the power of identity yesterday. Uh, I was a little bored in the afternoon, and I was thumbing through a cookbook. I don't really cook. So just, uh, you know, people, don't, don't give me recipes. They'll, I won't use them. But uh, I read in this cookbook, you can make your own peanut butter in a food processor. And I was like, nah, that is so cool. That's so cool. I have a food processor. Jet, we're going to make peanut butter. And so we scoured the pantry. We didn't have peanuts. But we had almonds. I was like, holy cow, almond, almond butter is like 30 bucks for a little thing. We're going to make almond butter. This is going to be great. So we got out of the food processor, and the video we watched said, blend for two minutes, scrape, Blend for three minutes, scrape. Blend for five minutes, almond butter. 
15 minutes or however many minutes that was, we're going to have almond butter, Jet. The look on his face, I think that was like an hour and a half into it. <laughs> we just kept blending, and I'm like, it's not even creamy. And the food processor was really loud. Really loud. And I was like, you know, at one point it made a popping noise. And the boys like jumped back. Uh, and it, this thought occurred to me that I think is powerful when it comes to identity. I was like, what if this food processor could talk, what would it say about its identity? Is it saying, please, please stop. Like, I just, I just cut carrots when you feel lazy. This is way beyond my pay grade. This isn't who I am. This isn't what I do. Or is this food processor thinking like, finally, I've been waiting in your shelf for all these years for you to find this almond butter recipe. I can finally show you what I'm made of. Well, between every time we'd open and to scrape it down, smoke would come out of it. I was like, wow, it's probably creating so much friction. The almonds are getting hot. No! See, if you look above that word ninja, you can see like this white stuff. Amy's like, what is that? I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> that was the glue holding it together, and we heated it up so much it like melted it, and then the blade broke off of that cup. Why? Turns out the identity of this food processor was, I just cut carrots, man. Like, I'm just happy. When you feel a little lazy, just throw a carrot in here and I'll cut it up. Who it was determined how it responded to the world around it. Who we are determines how we respond to the world around us. Identity. Christianity is not after the facts in your head but the identity of your personhood. Who are you really? When we ask the question, who takes care of you? Do you say, Jesus, because of a fear-based identity of I have to say the, the right thing or I don't belong in this group? Or do we say, Jesus, because you've experienced it. Now, most of us regularly live in this fear-based identity. I live there. We all live there. The invitation that we're going to see when Jesus says, I'm your high priest, I take care of you, is not giving us a new target to aim at. Okay, now instead of trying hard to do these things, try hard to think this way. No, 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 no. When Jesus says, I'm your high priest, he's saying, I have fundamentally changed you, identity. I've said, I'll take care of you, belonging. And the invitation for us today is not to try harder to make that true. The invitation is to practice living out what's already been done. We are a food processor that functions in a certain way. We can't help it. It's who we are. And so Jesus shows up to a fear-based culture and they respond in fear, but he offers a totally different culture, a different sense of belonging built on a different identity. And we're gonna, so we're going to read Mark chapter 14. So if your Bible turned there, we're going to read Mark 14, but Mark is just soaked in Isaiah. We have to, we're going to be in Isaiah for a little bit after Mark 14. What's the community that Jesus is building? What's the place of belonging? What's the, the core central identity to this community? How do, you, how do you live in a fearful world? How do you experience transformation? Mark chapter 14. We're going to see what happens when Jesus shows up to a group of people and he, he faces the one who is supposed to care for Israel and instead of care, he experiences their fear. It's so good. Plot twist. Ready? Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 53. Mark 14, 53. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teacher of the law came together. Peter followed at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. Many, many 
testified falsely against him. But their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I'll destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet, even their testimony didn't agree. Then, the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, anointed one, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask our priest for some help right now. Father, the world can feel like a scary place. Life doesn't go as it should. God, when scary things happen, it's so easy to turn and blame you, question what you're doing, and, and I don't want to minimize those questions. So God, help us, help us to see who you are, what it is you're doing, and what implications that has for us. God, what does it mean when you say you are our priest, that you want to take care of us? God, help us to know that deep in our bones. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of the language in Mark chapter 14 can go right over our heads, but what's really going down here is a conversation about priests. A conversation about priests. When Caiaphas asks Jesus, when he says, are you the Messiah? What he's asking, the word Messiah comes from the Hebrew word, it's almost a transliteration, uh, Mashiach. That's what it, Mashiach, and to, Mashiach just means to, to pour, right? Are you the one who's been poured on? Like, what? Anointed. Well, what do you get anointed for? You would anoint priests to do priestly roles. And what they're asking is, are you Israel's priest? Are you the one who we can count on to take care of us? Because we don't like what you're doing. It threatens us. Right? They have that sense of belonging, but now Jesus is here. And what are they doing? What are they doing? It says that they were looking for, back in Mark chapter 14, it says that they, they were looking for people to tell false witnesses. Right? If you are a joy-based culture and someone comes and says, hey, we have a different way of doing things. And you're like, well, let's lie. Let's, find, let's just find some way to crush this. That's not acting out of a joy-based culture. That's acting out of threats. Right? And so many of us, we experience fear-based groups. Right? We get together, and what does it mean to be in a fear-based group? We just look out for threats together. Right? Hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? What did they say? Man, they really didn't like what you said about them last week. What did they say? Well, they told everybody. Fear. Right? I mean, we work in places that are built on fear. Right? This thing is due. Got to get it done. What happens if I don't? boss won't be happy. Fear. It's like the air we breathe. So Jesus comes, again, acting like a priest, and he's soaking in priestly language. It's just in the background. For example, Ben, who was out here, before the high priest would put all that on, he would take a, a ceremonial washing, a bath, and he'd walk by two things. The table of showbread and a lampstand. All right? Bread and a lampstand, bread and light. What are some things Jesus said? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. So this Jesus shows up and he's just temple, 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 priest, priest, priest. And he's healing. And he's doing something different. 
And instead of being met with joy, he's met with suspicion. The people who were supposed to care met him with suspicion. And to understand what's really going on, we just got to take a quick tour through the book of Isaiah. Here's the thing about Old Testament prophets. They're super long-winded, okay? So they make points, and it's very flowery language, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it can change your life, and it's really good. But they'll make a point in chapter 1. They'll kind of soak on it for a little bit. They'll come back in chapter 52. And they'll come back in chapter 61. So that's what we're going to do. That's exactly what Isaiah does. In Isaiah 1, Isaiah makes this point. Uh, he's talking about Israel, and he says they become like a bizarro garden of Eden. Like, you remember bizarro Superman? He's like Superman, but doesn't do what Superman does. This is, that's what Israel had done. They made a bizarro garden of Eden. Here's like a clear statement of it in Isaiah 1, 29, 30. You, Israel, uh, you will be ashamed of your idol worship in groves of sacred oaks. Remember, we've been talking in this series that God's presence is symbolized through a tree, his life-giving presence, a tree of life. Well, they had their own trees, Israel. You will blush because you worship in gardens dedicated to idols, You'll be like a great tree with withered leaves, like a garden without water. You look like a garden. It's not really life. What he's talking about here is how all of us have navigated life east of Eden. Scripture says, hey, there's life-giving power in God's presence. I'm like, yeah, but I bet I can find that in sex. I bet I can find that at work. I bet I can find that in people liking me. I bet I can find that in throwing good parties, that life-giving power. I bet I can find that in being a good parent. I bet I can find that in knowing the Bible really well. I bet I can find that. I bet I can find that. All those things, good things, great things. But when we look for life outside of God's life-giving presence, what happens, we're just like Israel. We create this bizarro Garden of Eden. And it doesn't create life, it creates death. So Isaiah keeps going. What's, how is God going to respond to this bizarro Garden of Eden? How does he respond? Isaiah 52, verse 13, he's going to send someone called a servant. We find out from earlier in chapter 40, the servant is going to act like a priest. But here's what's happening. See, my servant will act wisely. What it means to act wisely is you see a problem... And you know what it takes to fix it. So it's not just, ooh, this is bad. I'm going to yell at you. Right? That's not acting wisely. Acting wisely, I understand the situation. I understand what's going on. And I know the solution. What's the solution? He will be raised and lifted up. That's an echo. Back to Isaiah 6, where Isaiah finds himself in the temple, God's presence. He finds himself in God's presence and he sees God raised and lifted up. So, okay, the problem, sin, and the death it creates, the solution, God's presence. And he'll be highly exalted. Well, what's it going to look like when he's highly exalted? What's his way to act wisely to deal with it? Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond any human likeness. He's going to get beat up? What? Okay, let me get this straight. We were supposed to live in God's life-giving presence. We went outside of that and we found our identity, our love, our acceptance, our worth, our security. We found all that in other things. And God's like, here, I know what to do. I'll, be, I'll get beat up for you. What? Here's what's happening. When we found our identity in things other than God's life-giving presence... When I find my identity in being a pastor, in being a good pastor, being a great public speaker, being really relational, that creates death. Nobody, I mean, it may literally create death, but it steps away from life. If I make my identity, man, everybody thinks I'm so personable, everybody thinks I'm so relational, I have to work really hard to keep that relational mask on. And if there's ever a moment when that mask is slipping, you become a threat. That is a fear-based culture. We all live in fear-based cultures. We all, whatever language you like, a mask, false self, the flesh, 
Whatever language you like. I was just like, hey, when things don't go well, this is what I'm trusting to get me by. That thing, get prepared. You're going to hate that thing in a few months. It's just going to become such a burden. And so what's Jesus' answer to that? He says, I'm going to provide God's life-giving presence by taking on the death that you leaving Eden caused. And then what happens? This gets good. He will sprinkle many nations. Now, last week, Leviticus, right? What's going on? They kill all these animals, and what do they do with the blood? Oh, man, you guys are great listeners. Thank you. They sprinkle. So he's going to die and then sprinkle many nations. Remember? Because life is in the blood. He's saying, I'm going to exchange your death for my life. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. Why? What is that? Just shock and awe, baby. They're like, what? Amen. What? We know how power works. If you scare me, I just be more scary. Right? I, I will not say which political party, but one political party, I was watching a video and they said, you know what the greatest fundraiser, fundraising tool is ever? Fear! Right? And like, you know, we do not want to do that, especially as a church, right? If you don't tithe, you know what's going to happen. You're like, oh man, I got I to gotta do this, right? Fear breeds toxicity. It breeds more of that death. So it's not, the people, the rulers of the world who were like, hey, that's the air we breathe. Someone really powerful came and instead of ruling with fear, ruled with something else. And they're like, what? For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. We got to keep moving through this long-winded prophecy. When Jesus shows up, what does he say? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. There it is, that priestly language, right? He dumped, what is he, what, who has he dumped on me? The spirit is on me. The Lord anointed me. He's been anointed with the spirit. He's covered with God's spirit. What's that? God's presence. Okay, so what happens when God's presence comes out to us? To proclaim good news. The gospel is not more fear-mongering. Look busy, Jesus is coming back. It's good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favorite. Do you know what word comes from the word favor? Favorite. I think I said it backwards. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favorite. Favor. We get the word favorite from favor. See, it's confusing. What's, what's a favorite? It's something you favor. God likes you. All right, that's, that's the, I, we, Amy and I were watching this like kids video, like kids Bible stuff, and they're like, God doesn't like you. He loves you. And I want to get up and unplug the TV because like, that's a lie. That is not true. God really likes you. Jesus came to tell us that. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He delights in us. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now we're going to zoom in on this. What does this priest do? He provides for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for they display his splendor. Here's what's super good about Christianity. Christianity does not say, do this and God will love you. Christianity says God loves you and so he's done for you what you could never do on your own and that fundamentally changed you. Just like my food processor was operating out of its identity. All right? It acted away because it was a way. Jesus made us a way. And what is that? Look really carefully there. What, is he, what has he bestowed on them a crown of? The oil of joy. Jesus has been anointed with the Spirit and his people have been anointed, covered in, poured over joy. So instead of a fear-based culture, we are a joy culture. Now some of you are like, I wish that were true. 
But it's not true. Christianity is not about willing something to be true. It says this is true. And the rest of our life we practice living into the implications of that reality. It is not, okay, if I try harder, I become a, a joyful person. We were wired for joy, and we've been wired by joy. And that's, our brains seek joy. Right? That's, that's what addiction is. Addiction is, man, these hard things are coming at me. Life's not going well, but I can control this, and I can have a pseudo joy. Problem is, it doesn't last. But Jesus has made us He's anointed us with the oil of joy and they will be called oaks of righteousness. The burr oak tree is not going anywhere. All right? It's rooted. Our identity, who we are, is not dependent on what's happening around us. Whether or not Compass Church makes budget, whether or not you get that promotion, when you lose your job, when you're depressed, we have been changed. And the invitation is not to prove it. The invitation is to practice living like we already are. That's part of the reason we're so miserable. Because we know, ah, this isn't who I am. This isn't how I was meant to live. But we tell ourselves, it's because you're, it's because you're, yeah, you're not a good Christian. You don't get it like everybody else. I just want to say, if those, those messages you're hearing, I don't know if that's the voice of the Lord. I would bet your money it's probably not. And that's why you need to dump accountability groups. Just get rid of them. Never go to an accountability group again. I mean, unless, like, I mean, we very much love AA. We have an AA ministry here. I'm not talking about that. Accountability groups. I was at once a young Christian man in college, and if anybody's ever been around an accountability group with young Christian men in college, you know it's about one thing and one thing only. And you know what happens in those groups? How long has it been since you messed up? Man, I've been really good, but it's been like 24 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay, do better next time. You know what happens in those groups? When we do well, we like being around each other, right? That's that whole group and identity. My identity is saying, man, I'm someone who's doing well, right? I'm nailing it. I'm crushing it. So I belong. These are my people. And who are we as people? We hold each other accountable. We care about this. When you don't do well, though, you know what happens? Fear. Oh, I did not want to tell those people what kind of week I've had. Yikarunis, this could be bad. They're going to say this about me. They're going to say that about me. And do you, so you know what? You know what has a really short shelf life? Accountability groups. Do you know why that is? Because we're wired for joy. And you know what doesn't bring joy? Accountability groups. So might I suggest we replace them with something else. If it really is true that he's anointed our heads with oil and he's gonna, he calls us oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. That, that, I just got to, we got to land there for a second. You are an oak of righteousness. Remember, the whole idea about the tree of life was this is where God's presence is. All right? And then we got sent out of there. And now he's like, okay, now you're the tree. Now you're the spot where God's presence is. I don't feel like it. Too bad. It's true. This is who you are. It's, it's, it's what he's done. So instead of hey, let's have these groups where we feel really bad and we really try to motiv motivate each other to try harder and we're really well-intentioned, we're really well-intentioned, but it's not working. Instead of finding accountability folks, what if we found allies? What if we found people who said, hey, we believe what God says about who we are. We believe he's made us this amazing outpost of his presence. So we're going to do three, instead of holding each other accountable in the traditional way, let's do this thing called a VCR. Does anybody know what that is? <laughs> we're going to validate, care, and redirect. Validate, care, and redirect. When we see each other struggling, validating. Yeah, that's hard. 
You're dealing with difficult emotions because you're in a difficult space. You're not crazy. That's hard. And man, I really see you caring about this. That's God's grace in your life. That's just evidence of his grace all over your life. I see you. That's amazing. Care. I'm not trying to fix it. I just see you're suffering. Man, that's really hard. I don't have any advice. I don't have any solution. I don't have a book to read. I don't have a podcast. I just want you to know I care about you. So I'm going to say, yeah, what you're going through, man, that's really hard. Todd Hall, who teaches at the Rosemead School of Psychology, uh, he's a Christian counselor. He said that 80%, 80% of what he does as a Christian counselor is just validate people's experience. Yeah, that's hard. You know why it's hard? Hard things are hard. You're not crazy. That's hard. Validate. Care. Hey, can we do anything for you? And you know what this starts to do? Starts to build a sense of belonging. Yeah, you know what? You have a place where you're cared for. You know, so many of us, so many of us, we move away from things because we're asking questions, do they care? It does this group of people care about me. If I really let the mask down, if I show my true self, if they see me on my bad days with my flesh, will they care? Isaiah wants to offer this by way of just encouragement. He says this, he will sprinkle many nations. This was written to one nation, Israel, God's chosen people. And they were the ones God sprinkles. But now, Jesus, this priest, is sprinkling people who were outside the tribe. He's saying, people who don't belong, you now have a place where you belong. And it makes you different. Changes your identity. Belonging and identity. That's how we change. So we validate, we care, and then we redirect. Right? How do people like us act? Hey, I hear you. Your mother-in-law is really frustrating, but you shouldn't throw things at her. That's not who you are. You're going to redirect, redirect. This is how people like us live. Hey, don't you, I don't know if you know this. That's not how we talk to each other. Right? We're disciples of someone who laid down his life for his enemy. So we, we don't talk to each other like that. That's not who we are. We redirect. We validate. We care. And we redirect. There's correction there. Please don't hear me say, sometimes I think the word validate can make people nervous. Like, oh, I'm just supposed to validate everything I see. Right? Oh my gosh. Like, I'm just supposed to be like the affirmation bunny. Like, you're awesome. Everything you do is great. No, not everything everyone does is great. Right? We can live out of that fear. We, nat- we regularly slide back into fear. I slide back into fear. Seeking a mother-in-law, my mother-in-law is great, and I was helping her move a bed out of her house and put a new bed into her house. To do so, we rented a U-Haul. And I don't know if you know how U-Hauls work. Like, they give you a set time, so you've got to be back by this time. And they give you a set amount of miles. So you, you can only go this many miles, or we charge you, right? I started the day without even realizing it, in a joy. I'm like, this is great. I'm helping my mother-in-law. She's going to think, this is going to be great. I love her. This, she's going to be so helped by this. Woohoo! I slid, though, into fear. All right? So we were, like, running close on time. Not really. Uh, and we're, you know, like, ah, time. We've got to get the bed in here. I'm going to drive the bed to Goodwill. We're going to be good to go. I'm driving a U-Haul around town, which is just like, did I kill somebody? Like, I, that crosswalk was really narrow. I can't see anything. Hopefully no one died. Like, it's just a, you know, fear. I get to Goodwill. And there was a guy working there, and I, you know, I didn't know if I could make it under the over thing, so I, and I go, I'm like, hey, I, I got a bed, will you take it? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, great, I'll go get it. And he goes, no. What? And he's like, yeah, we, no, we don't take beds. I was like, oh, but it's a little bed. And he's like, no, too big. I'm like, no, let me show you, it's not too big. And I'm like having fun at this point, I'm like, this is like a negotiation, right? And I'm going to win, it's going to be great. He goes, too big, no. Goodwill only takes 48 by 48. And I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit this. I just went. And I just got in my car. And then the fear culture kicks in. Okay, here's what I'll do. I'll take it to City of Refuge. They'll probably take it. Oh, I don't know if City of Refuge takes beds. Oh my gosh, how many miles do I have? How much time? You know how, like, what? Do they, do they even put gas in this car? Does it have a hole in the tank? Like, what's happening? Oh my gosh, I'm running out of time. Fear, 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 fear. So I didn't treat someone well. I didn't say, oh, hey, thanks, man. You're just doing your job. Yeah, so you didn't come up with the rules. You don't run goodwill. I just walked away. Ugh. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, fear. Fear, fear, fear. 
we regularly slide into fear culture. That's just how, that's the air we breathe. The goal is not to say, I'm going to live a fear-free life. The goal is to recognize and pay attention, oh, I'm acting out of fear. That's not who I am. I don't have to do this. That is way easier said than done. Recognizing you're living out of fear in the moment, all of a sudden we start to, you know what? If I admit that I'm living out of fear, I got to admit that I was wrong. That's exactly the showdown between these two priests. If the priest, if Caiaphas were to admit, hey Jesus, you are Israel's truer and better priest, what are they admitting? Yeah, we didn't do a great job. Like, <laughs> we're occupied by Rome. That's not really great. Like, we let Israel down. We're not going to do that, though. You're the threat. The invitation is to recognize we're in a fear-based culture, fear-based identity, and to say, there is mercy and grace to come out of the fear. The daily, the daily prayer that the priests were supposed to pray over Israel. You know it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious. There is grace for terrified people because Jesus, our new priest, came to proclaim the year of God's favor that his face is shining on us. He loves us. He delights in us. We're a joy to be around to him. I don't know why. Because he's so good. He's so good. That gives us a new identity and a new place to belong. And identity is powerful. When I was in college, I was friends with this girl. And I found out later she didn't mean what she said. But we were talking and she had just got her car serviced. And she said something like, yeah, and then the mechanic at the auto shop asked me out. Can you imagine me dating a mechanic? And my heart sank. Because I was like, yeah, I can. My dad's a mechanic. Not that I imagine her dating my dad. But it's like, I, I'm the son of a mechanic. Like, neither of my parents... Went to college. Wait a minute. What's happening here? Do I not? What do people think about me? And it really started to rock my identity. I went to a small, I had, you know, I had the privilege of going to a small private Christian college in Southern California. And I'll never forget being dropped off and walking up to my dorm. And I'm walking in the parking lot. You know, I'm carrying all my stuff with my best friend. And we walked by. It was like Beamer, 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 Lexus, Beamer, 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 Benz. And I was like, where are we? And then all of a sudden, in an instant, I'm like, I don't belong. Does, does everybody think this about me? Am I like Uncle Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation? I'm just this like loud, like totally uncivilized person that everybody knows, oh, we don't really want them around here, but we'll put up with them. Who am I? Oh my gosh. It rocked my identity. I didn't know. The good news about a priest who sprinkles many nations is that outsiders now have a place to belong. You may be here and your life is a dumpster fire. You don't have anything together. You can't pay your bills. You're like, if you really knew me, you'd be shocked. That is exactly exactly who Jesus said, I came to proclaim the year of God's favor and I'm going to anoint you with joy. If you're here and your life is together and you're like, man, every time they talk about everything's for people who are a mess, is anything for me? Jesus came to announce the year of the Lord's favor and to anoint your head with joy. Identity matters. If we don't get at identity, if we don't get at who we are, we've lost the battle. 
But Jesus said, I'll care for you. That's why when the writer of Hebrews makes this statement, we do not have a high priest who's not able to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things in the same way, yet without sin. What does knowing that information do? Therefore, let us approach with confidence to the throne of grace in order that we may receive mercy and find grace to help when we slide back into fear. There is no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. We have a priest who says, I'm here to give you shelter from the storm. What's keeping you from saying yes to that priest? Jesus God, we are standing on holy ground. Who you are and what you've done for us. And we're not alone. You've provided a new identity and a new sense of belonging. And God, I pray for those moments of need we have that we will be able to come to that throne of grace to find help, to find shelter in the storm and be reminded of who we really are and what you've really done. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.